0: For it to be here, so I'm happy that you're all here. I will say, uh, I'm showing some examples on the screen of web pages and things, so you might need to move forward to see it. This is a, a smaller screen than I had anticipated having, so that's one thing. Um, the other one, we're going to be interacting quite a bit, so the faster you answer the questions, the faster you go home. Okay, dinner's after this, so I know we've got incentive. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited for you guys to be here. The uh, I'll just tell you a little bit about myself, and then I'll pray. Um, I'm family medicine trained, working at a, a medical residency here in the United States, um, training people in kind of broad spectrum family medicine, getting to help with their international side of their training. Um, this talk comes from the conversations we have there, and then I also get to sit down with medical students that roll through and do uh, rotations with us. And, uh, of course, there's such a broad background on people's interactions with the nation, so I I'm highlighting uh, a few things here that I've seen recently. So we'll look at about five or six stories from the Bible that I think are important, um, that I think are uh, very pertinent to our discussion of how we should be involved, if we should be involved with the nations. And, um, and then we'll be kind of talking those through a little bit. And then we'll end with just... A brief overview of some of the things that I've thrown together that I kind of walked through with students. You guys might know it all already, but different resources that are out there about finding out where the nations are. And so we'll get there. First, uh, I'll start with prayer. And uh, if you guys wouldn't mind praying throughout the time, just if you think about it, my oldest son is actually going back to the OR. Uh, he broke his arm. His ortho follow-up was this morning. They're like, oh, he's going to need plates. So he's going back Sometime during this talk, um, (laughs) you guys are making me cry. Uh, He's going back. So if you could be praying for that, I don't anticipate any problems. This is the third time he's broken the arm. Second time he's had to go back into the OR. So it's like nothing new. But he's pretty bummed that he broke it because he already spent eight weeks this summer in the cast. And now he's back in the cast. So hopefully the plates go well and he doesn't break it again. But his name's Oliver. Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, so I'll pray and uh, then we'll get started. Um, But God, thanks for this opportunity to be here and share. Thanks for this conference and the encouragement that it is to be surrounded by people that are on mission for you, that have the shared background of medicine or are interested in medicine or somehow connected to medicine. And um, God, thank you that you use us despite our difficult personalities and our our stubbornness and our know-it-allness, that you would um, be willing to work with us. And We just pray that you would continue to humble us, that you would show us your heart for the nations even over this next hour and that we'd be able to put that into practice, and we would see your kingdom come, like we talked about this morning, that we would see your name spread to the farthest shores of this world, and uh, that we would see people falling on their knees in worship for you, the true God that made them. And So that's what we ask, and we pray that you would be with us as we go through this, and you would make it personal for us, uh, in how we can be stepping forward and putting this into application in our lives. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks so much. I'm also curious about who is here, uh, who would pick this title, and who would come. Uh, so, trying to work that through, can you raise your hand if you're medical? As no. a midwife. Okay, yeah. the midwives are very medical. Yeah. Yes. All right, cool. Raise your hand if you're still in training. Okay, half. All right. Raise your hand if on a scale of zero, which is no interest, and in ten being. If I, I, I can't sleep if I don't do this if you're trying to get overseas to do medical work raise your hand if you're above a 5 on that scale ok alright, ok, thanks um, raise your hand if you would say yes, as I read through scripture I see already God's heart for the nations ok, ok, cool um, here's, a, here's one and Nobody raised their hand on the first one, so we'll see if this is the same. Have you ever wondered why Matthew 28 is this last thing God said? Like Jesus says as he's departing the earth. Have you ever thought, man, did he forget to mention that throughout the rest of his ministry? I have. So I'm raising my hand. Nobody. Okay. All right. I'm alone on that. Fantastic. Um, Pull out your phones if you've got them. If you want to participate, it's a little survey. When you think of God's heart for the nations, what are the top three things from his word that come to mind? Stories, books, examples, words. And this will take you to a little survey. You just type those in, and I'm going to show them in a few minutes along with the survey results I've gotten over the last year and a half uh, that I've been doing this with students. We can see kind of what what that brings to mind. But as you're doing that, I do want to throw this out there also a lot of times we can come to conferences and get super excited and come home and then the next day or week we're like, I can't put all this into practice. And we're actually burdened by it. And it adds to the weight that we're trying to carry. And so sometimes we end up feeling like these animals or mopeds or trucks, like way overweighted, there's nothing I can do to add to that. And I don't want that for you. And so if this isn't something you're supposed to hear, just ignore it. Um, But the other thing that I've, I've come to realize is trying to figure out a lot of times we take our life and we try to keep it all separate and I go to work and I come home from work and my family doesn't involve work at all Uh, and then we've got church and ministry on the side and that's how I I live my life and it's trying to keep those circles from overlapping as much as possible what I found is trying to bring those together as much as I can and that's kind of the point for this talk like I don't want to have to come home from my work in the clinic and go and have to do other ministry. Is there any way I can combine those so that my 16 hours of awakefulness during the day can be put into good practice combining things? And how can my family be involved so it's not always at odds with the work I'm doing at home? So try to you know, think through that. Think if that's something that would be helpful for you. The other thing, if you were there this morning, this was a great talk. It kind of stole the thunder on a lot of my points, so that's fine. If you slept through it, great. We're going to have a great talk today. He went through a lot of these definitions. I threw them up there just because I find that if I assume everyone knows what I'm talking about, that's not always the case. And so when we talk about nations, when you see that in our English scriptures, like a lot of times people think geographical. These are the straight lines that separate Chad and Sudan. But in reality that's not a perfect picture because there are villages that get cut by that line. Um, There's people groups, there's families on both sides of the line. So like one's in Sudan, one's in Chad. Does that make sense? No. So the nations, when we talk about it, is this word ethne that he talked about already, these ethno-linguistic groups, separate groups that relate to each other on a deeper level based on commonalities like language, history, um, they look alike, or where they live. And so, Try to keep that in mind when we're talking about the nations. The other thing I threw up there is unreached people groups. Uh, If you've never heard of that term, I'd love to talk to you more about it. Basically, it's these ethnic groups that have less than 2% of the the population would be professing faith um, or following in an evangelical church. The bottom one, unreached and unengaged people groups, are those groups that have nobody outside working on them, no inside influence that's trying to change that number. Yeah, the talk this morning, I have never heard a small number as 83. I'm super excited to find out more. If you want to hear more, you're in the wrong session. He's doing a different talk right now. Uh, but i got to figure out how he got to that number, because I've always heard such higher numbers. But it was a really helpful and hopeful talk this morning. These are some of the questions I, I sit down and talk with students and residents. Like, does God really care about the nations? We see all these terrible things that are going on. We live in a political infrastructure of our own country that... If you talk about how, yeah, if you were to throw out these concepts like God loves immigrants, you're going to be met with opposition, right? Or like there's the thought, yeah, He loves them, but they should stay exactly where they're at, and who cares if they die out there? Um, We're called to love our neighbors. Who are our neighbors? This this one at the end. Am I supposed to go somewhere? God has me right where you know X, wherever that is. Am I supposed to leave that and be a part of a work somewhere else? Why would He have me where I'm at? Hopefully we'll circle back to some of these. I'm not trying to answer all these questions for you. Um, That's not my job. But I think they're really important questions, and I don't want you to feel ashamed if you've ever thought those questions, right? Because this this is reality. We have to figure out where God wants us and what He wants us to be doing. Okay. Answers to the poll. So if you missed it, we did a QR thing just with three things to answer where... When you think of the nations, what that looks like. Let's see if you guys added much to it. You guys got a few extra ones on there. Let me see if I can zoom it in a smidge there. So the more it's mentioned, the bigger it gets, and the more central it is on this little artistic description. So Great Commission, yes, most common. Jonah shows up. Man, there's a fantastic story about a terrible missionary and how God can work through anybody. Right? (laughs) Right? He didn't even want to go, and he still saw a whole community come to the faith. Oh, it's fantastic. We're not going to talk about that. Ethne, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, great answer. Whoever put that one in, That's you're right on the right track. Um, Imago Dei shows up. Abraham, the father of many nations. Habakkuk 2.14, Acts 10. You can see these verses. These are things, Pentecost. These are things that come to mind. So hopefully we're all in the same... Thought pattern with this, and we're going to try to go a little bit farther in some stories that are not the most common ones that pop up. Yeah, I don't see them up there. So we're going to we're going to go into some ones that maybe aren't as commonly thought of, and uh, there's reasons for that. So let's uh, let's jump there. This will pull back up. Cool. All right. Also, I've got a couple of small kids at home. What's the best-smelling insect? It's a dad joke, so think of it in that line. I've had two people guess this in the whole career of this joke. Participation. No, you don't have... This is just... Nobody? Best-smelling... You got one. A honeybee. Very good. But that's not it. A deodorant. Oh, the groans. That's the best. All right. Okay, this story is the first one. This is one that I've fallen into recently and I find a lot of hope and comfort in it, especially when I look at the situations around the world that are going on right now. Does anybody want to take a guess at what this picture represents? Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac, close. You're very close. This is a female, we'll say that. Hagar and Ishmael. So the opposite side of it, alright? So Genesis 16, if you want to pull that up, you can. I've got some of the verses pulled out here on the screen. Genesis 16 and Genesis 21 give us two instances where we get to see God's interactions with Hagar. Now what do we know about Hagar? Some background. Egyptian servant, pulled out of her culture, following Sarai around. So it's her maid servant. Um, Doesn't have the best relationship, as we'll see in a little bit. And she's the answer that Sarai and Abraham come up with as to why they're not having kids, and God made a promise that they'll have a son. So uh, we're probably all familiar with it. Abraham takes, Sarah, uh, takes Hagar as kind of this servant wife and has a child through her. Genesis 16, this section is what happens when she finds out to be pregnant. This doesn't go over well. Sarah, I thought it was a good idea. Now she's very jealous. This is kind of suggesting that it's Sarah's problem, that she's not having kids, because Abram's still fertile. So she gets mad at Hagar, and she starts to abuse Hagar. Suggestions of physical abuse, when you look at the words there. And Hagar runs away. Hagar goes out into the wilderness, and she's pretty sure she's going to die. Okay? The angel of the Lord finds her by the spring of water in the wilderness on the way to Shur. And he says, Hagar, the servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she says, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord says to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And then the angel of the Lord also says to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And so she calls the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God of seeing. And truly, you have seen. I have seen him who looks after me. Okay. This is first situation. We see a, a promise to Hagar, the Egyptian servant. Her offspring is going to be uh, something that cannot be numbered for multitude. Right. What does that remind us of when we think of that promise? Where have we heard that before? And it's not Genesis 21. Sorry. I can read lips. Abraham. Yeah. So it's the Abrahamic promise, right? We see that in the first part of the Abrahamic promise all the way back in Genesis 12 when he's called out from, uh, from his father's culture. It's the promise that there'll be a multitude. Now keep thinking about that because we're going to come back to that promise in a minute. Genesis 21 is the second scenario where this happens. Isaac's been born. Ishmael's older than Isaac. Sarai is now very worried, reading between the lines, that uh, Ishmael's the firstborn. And that doesn't work out well in the culture, where that should be where all of the promises and benefits go to the firstborn. And so they're in, uh, again in a battle, internal conflict. The home is being torn apart. God says to Abraham, be not displeased because of this boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For, though, for through Isaac your offspring shall be named. And I'll make a name of a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he's your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, gave it to Hagar, put it on her shoulder, along with the baby, or the child, he's a little bit older now, and sent her away into the wilderness. And she departs, and she wanders in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water of the skin was gone, she put the child down under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite of him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of my child. And as she sat opposite of him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and she filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. And he lived in the wilderness became an expert with the bow. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took him for a wife from the land of Egypt. Okay as we look at this passage, this is where you guys get to interact and answer, so this isn't just a rhetorical question, what did we see about God in this passage? It could be something you've seen before, it could be brand new, but what is what does this show us about God? What's that? He listens, right? So he's described as the God who sees and as the God who hears. That's El Roy is the God who sees and the God who hears is El shaman And so, Okay. So he covers sin and he still is working in that with grace. What else? Because it's what? Because it's the offspring. Of Abraham. So he's repeating the promise. This isn't he's not casting out Ishmael to die in the desert like Sarah seems to want. Um, But God has a heart for that, and so he sees and hears, and he's caring for them in that. Well, he cares more than just for Israel. Yes, okay. So you're keeping in line with our topic. He cares more than Israel for this. Through Isaac comes what nation? Israel, right? And we fast forward all the way to Galatians, and what does that say about the nation of Israel and descendants of Abraham? yeah you don 't have to be a physical descendant anymore. you can be a spiritual descendant of Abraham all right He mentioned it this morning when you go back to that those promises to Abraham, what is the second half of that promise that god 's going to multiply him he 'll be blessed, and through him all the nations in the world will be blessed that 's christ okay so that 's how we 've been blessed through this and that 's why uh, Galatians is so true. Like that's how it can be true because of Christ. We'll come back to it in a few sessions, in a few uh, examples. But what's different about the promise? You had mentioned the promise to Ishmael. What's different about that promise? Yeah, it's missing the second half, right? So there's going to be a great multitude. Who knows the descendants of Ishmael? Who's followed their genealogy well? Yes, the nations of the Arabian Peninsula, and through that, Muhammad, and through Muhammad, Islam. All right? And so now we fast forward to where we stand currently, and we have those that are descendants of Abraham and those that are descendants of Ishmael. Uh, and they are multitudes that are very hard to count. And we can estimate them. But that's where we're at now, in, the, in our reality. What did we see about people in this passage? Yeah: Yeah, and so the answer was, God is making the nations of his own accord. like He is working through that. If Ishmael had died in the desert or had died been a he talks about in an archer, if there was a hunting accident later on down the road and he died before he had offspring, that would have ended. That promise would not have come to completion. So God's hand is at work. What do we see about ethnic strife in this passage? It exists. Exactly. So Sarai, is she super happy with her Egyptian servant? No. So there's strife there. Um, And then fast forward throughout history and you can see where we're at now. There's strife between these ethnic groups. Okay? Alright. Last time I got, we spent too much time on this one I had to rush at the end. We're going to jump forward a little bit to our next joke. Ninja's favorite type of shoes? This one's easier. Some people get this. Sneakers. We got fast over here. Exactly. Sneakers. Okay, the next example that I found really impactful over the last two years is this. This is Herod's temple, a drawing of the temple as we think it was at the time of Christ, okay? If you're familiar with Levitical law and you've kind of followed uh, the Israelites throughout the Old Testament, this makes a lot of sense the way it's built. You've got the Holy of Holies kind of set aside in the middle there, Nobody gets to access that except the high priest once a year. After the atoning sacrifice, if he doesn't do a good enough job, uh, he dies. And so they tie a rope on his ankle and bells. And if the bells stop moving, they drag his corpse out and they try harder next year. That's not a good one. All right, so that's the internal place. As you go out from there, there's more and more increasing levels of access. You've got the court of the priests. That's where they offer their sacrifices. Around that, the court of Israel. That's where Jewish... Men of accepted lineage without any blemish like a eunuch or someone that's had damage to their masculinity would not be able to be into that zone. Then you have the court of the women because of course they can't enter that zone. And then all the way on the outside you see this place called the court of the Gentiles. Okay? What is this I'm not going to try to ask the read my mind question. You can write these down. Leviticus 17:8 through 9 and Numbers 15:14 through 16. Leviticus 17:8 and 9 and Numbers 15:14 through 16. Talk about this concept of Old Testament Levitical law about how the sojourners and the foreigners that follow Christ that follow God, that uphold the Sabbath, can have access to the sacrificial system. That's what this is designed for. For the Gentiles to be able to come and worship the holy God at a distance, but still having access to that sacrificial system. Okay? Alright. Mark 11, keep that in mind as we read this. Mark 11 is the story of what Jesus does directly after entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in preparation for the Passover. This is a big deal. We're trying to you know, picture yourself there, busy time, busy streets. Jesus is coming on a donkey. We're laying down our cloaks and our palm branches. And what does he do? He goes to the temple. This is great. This is great for the zealots. This is great for the average Israelite. Jesus is going up there and we're going to crown him king. And he's going to wipe away all these Romans. And so now picture yourself the Romans. They're like, this is bad. This could really, really end bad. This could be a big revolt here. Let's get ready. Jesus goes up to the temple. And what does he do? As he enters the temple, he begins to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturns tables of the money changers and the seats of those who are selling pigeons. He wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple and he was teaching them saying, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes hear it and they're seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, the disciples and Jesus went out of the city. Okay. Has anyone ever heard this passage taught in some reference to how the church shouldn't be a business? Like we have to make sure that our money affairs aren't interacting with our spiritual health. Has anybody heard that aspect of it? Yeah. Has anybody been taken to this passage, which is what Jesus is quoting, Isaiah 56, and had this one taught in reference to that passage? And this one... I'm just going to read the second column. The first one's about eunuchs, which is, of course, the men who aren't allowed into that inner circle and how they can still access God. Uh, But the second side, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted On my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. He says it right there. All I ever was taught was the second section, like don't make it a den of robbers. But Jesus seems to have this important aspect there. He is emptying out this outer court of the Gentiles is where this is happening. The spot where they were supposed to have access to come and worship God has been converted into money changing and where the animals are at. And if you, if you think about Passover, like Josephus, the historian, talks about it in 60, AD 66, so 35 years after this. He talks about the Passover, how busy it is, and what's going on with the financing in the region. and The money changers are taking the Roman money and changing it into the money approved by the, the priests so it could be used in the temple as, uh, as an offering because you couldn't bring Jewish money in. But they're making money off that. And the animals are being sold. Um, but Josephus describes, like, at Passover, there's, in sixty 80, 66, there were 255,600 lambs that were sacrificed that year. So, like, put that into this outer court and imagine the busyness, the noise. That's not a place of worship. And Jesus is cleaning that out so the nations can have access to the temple. It doesn't go unrecognized. The scribes and the chief priests are now trying to kill Jesus for what's going on. They're seeking a way to destroy him. Okay. What does that tell us about God? We're ourselves. Where do you see us and where do you see God in that story? He wants to meet us. us. Yeah. He's not a tribal deity. He's not a tribal deity. Tell me more. Most deities in the ancient Near East were tribal, ethnically tied. Mm -hmm. And um, so this was revolutionary. Yeah. That there was this idea of one God. And that he is a God of all nations. It is. He wanted to be inclusive of those Gentiles. Yes. So there's an inclusivity that we don't see. And we also see that this isn't just an idol. Like, if you rewind to... Uh, I'm this, yeah off the cuff there's this example where the Ark of the Covenant is lost Israel loses it in a battle and the Philistines take it do you know what they do with it they put it in their temple the house I think it's Dagon or Dagon. they put it in there thinking wow we just acquired a new God this is a great thing we'll add to our our worship of our own God and, and in the morning it says that the, the, um, the idol of Dagon is on his face before the altar and they go oh that was weird i don't know how that happened and they set him back upright and then it says the next day they come in and he's at the the threshold of the temple and his hands are cut off like the god of their idol dagon was was shown to be so much more insignificant than the temple and so sorry that came to mind when you were talking about that but the same thing this is throughout the old testament god is calling that the israelites be a light to the nation, so that the nations see the glory of God and are drawn to that. We see that in Chronicles. We see that throughout the Psalms. Yeah. And here we are. It's a business and it doesn't make sense for the Gentiles to be there because we don't like the Gentiles anyways. And So it doesn't matter if we take over their court and we do our own stuff there. Anything else that was impactful from that one? All right. One more. People are more important than profits. People are more important than profits, right? It's more important and than not the profits, system. But profits, profits with an profits. I F I T S. Yes, okay, uh, and that's so true. Like, and what's our biggest? What is so easy for us to fall into, especially with the economic system that we thrive in, in the United States, or we work in, or whatever it is? Profits are so much more important. So when you get that notice from the email from whoever's in charge of you, hey, we're cutting down your visits from 15 minutes to 12 minutes because we've got to see more people. to We've got to get our, whatever the bottom line is. And what are we going to do about that? Because you can't, you can't even see somebody in 15 minutes and start to care about their soul. And what, how much less in 12 minutes. So, yeah, people are more important than prophets. All right, how does the moon cut his hair? Oh, wow. How many kids do you have? No kids. Eclipse it. Okay? Oh, wow. Eclipse it. This is a, we got a funny guy over here. This is fantastic. Alright. Uh, last big, big example I want to talk about. And I put this up there for a reason because it is easy to start to get down on ourselves. Like, man, I, I should see this. I should be doing more of this. I should be doing more of that. His, Jesus' disciples walked with Him throughout this ministry time. They see these examples. He's telling them direct things. And they don't get it right? So what's this story here? Peter. This is Peter, right? Acts 10 and 11. Peter's sitting there. He falls into a trance. Uh, sorry, I don't want to go into too much detail because we can actually, of course I have kids, so this is how you get kids entertained, uh, stop motion Lego video of this. To summarize, just to keep us all on our toes, nobody falls asleep before dinner.
1: One day. Okay. No.
0: So this is the story of uh, Peter and Cornelius. Acts 10 and 11.
1: He could hear and see. Peter saw heaven open up and all kinds of animals were lowered down to the earth. A voice said, Get up, Peter. Eat. But Peter was Jewish. His people believed these animals were unclean and not good for eating. So Peter said, No, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. Then the voice said, Do not call anything unclean that God has made clean. Peter heard this message from God three times. He knew it was important, but he had no idea what it meant. Just then, three men arrived, and the Spirit said to Peter,
0: Three men are looking for you. Go with them,
1: for I have sent them. Peter met with the three men and found out that they were sent by a man named Cornelius, a powerful soldier. He wasn't Jewish, but he followed God, and he wanted to meet Peter. So the next day, Peter went to Cornelius' house. Once he arrived, Peter was honest with Cornelius. He said, You know it's against Jewish law for me to meet with someone who isn't Jewish, but God has shown me I shouldn't call anyone unclean. So why did you ask me to come here? Then Cornelius told Peter the most surprising thing. Three days earlier, he had had his own vision from God. A man in shining clothes appeared to him and told him to invite Peter to his house. When Peter heard this, he said, I realize now that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on everyone who heard the message, even those who weren't Jewish. Peter was astonished and said, No one stand in the way of them getting baptized. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Peter thought he knew all about people like Cornelius. He thought Cornelius wouldn't be accepted by God because he wasn't Jewish. But after spending time with Cornelius, Peter realized he truly loved and obeyed God and that God accepted Cornelius and his whole family and everyone who chooses to follow Jesus.
0: All right. It's not sacrilegious if your kids are involved. So, okay, uh, we'll go back to this one. That's Acts ten and eleven. Man. There it goes. Okay, Acts ten and eleven. If you want to read it on your own, where when you read that when you when you hear that story on. How is it that you are able to relate what are, when you think of Peter and what he's going through what comes to your mind on what if you were in that circumstance what would that look like for what Peter was called into with that vision Three times, right? three times. So God repeats it because He recognizes sometimes we need a little bit of a harder knock on the head to figure out what's going on. Because this is everything that Peter knows is rounded up in this Levitical law and the dietary laws that are there. And God's showing him at that level which is really cool. It's like this is a very specific example. But what does he get called into next is this Wait, I have to expand that from being unclean with what I just eat. Like, maybe God just told me I need to change my diet. And then immediately there's these really sweet connections where this is very obvious that God is behind his interaction with Cornelius. Where Cornelius has a vision at the same time, three, like three days ago, and then, yeah, sends people there right at that instant. Like, this is very specific. God wants it very clear to Peter because he missed it. Or didn't fully grasp all the connotations that Jesus talks through with his ministry. Okay. So don't be down if you feel like, hey, I'm missing this. Maybe I need to be doing something different. Go ahead.
1: Another three times, three betrayals, and then three times to said, to my
0: sheep." So mm-hmm. I'm
1: wondering if that reminded him of
0: that. Yeah. So Peter gets a lot of repeat reminders, which is perfect. So, yeah. Um, No, okay, I won't go there. Anyhow, uh, so yes, that story, this is, it's a messy process, right? What does Peter have to do after he goes and spends this time with Cornelius? He has to go back to Jerusalem and try to explain to the other leaders of the church and the other disciples and apostles, like, guys, we're missing something. The Holy Spirit just fell on these Gentiles. What are we going to do about this? Do they have to become Jews first before we can call them followers of Christ? Or... When we go, do they have to... Yeah. Do they have to... Do they have to become... Sorry. Alright, I won't go there either. We're going to stop. Too much... I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this, but it's important to recognize that God is willing to meet us where we're at and give us the same message if we're off track. Okay? You guys are here. I don't know that you're off track. I doubt it because you're here, but just in case. What... We're going to go into some smaller examples, and this is more of the application side. And this one speaks to the biggest obstacle I see to opening our heart to the question of where and how should I be working according to what God wants, rather than what is profitable, where I think I'm supposed to be, where I'm already at, what's comfortable. Does anyone know what this picture represents? The woman with the issue of blood? No. Good guess, though. Woman being stoned in adultery? No. Good guess. If I say there's ten people up there plus Jesus... Ten lepers, right? Okay. Matthew 27. Thanks for playing along, guys. This really is a lot better than just talking. Uh, and studies show, if every three minutes I jog your mind and make you sit up straight in your chair, you'll remember it better. Matthew 27... Oh, Dad jokes. We're done with Dad jokes. Don't (laughs) worry. Matthew 27, um, towards the end of the chapter, describes Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling near Samaria, um, on that border between Samaria and Galilee. As he's going into a village, ten men who had leprosy meet him. They stand at a distance and they call in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw him, he said, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice, throws himself at Jesus' feet and thanks Him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise except this foreigner? And then he said to that guy, Rise, go, your faith has made you well. Okay. Jesus doesn't heal them right away. So all of them have to step out in faith. All ten guys have to go out in obedience. And it says, as they go, they're healed. He says to show himself to your priests. Does anybody, is anybody familiar with the Levitical process that knows what the significance of what, why they have to go to a priest? They have to them clean. The priest has to declare them clean. And it's this process of looking at the skin, counting the white hairs, and it's pretty complicated. But if they've been cleansed, the priest declares them clean, and then what do they get to do? They can they return to society. Exactly, that's exactly what I was hoping for. Le, lepers in this time are sent as they're set apart. They have to live outside the village, outside the city. They can't be around their family. They can't have a job that brings them any money. They can't have their life. They cannot go to the temple and worship. So their Jewish identity is gone when they have leprosy. Those are all the important things that you need to be that, that man on the inner court of the temple to worship God. And so they're heading off to do this process. Somebody tell me why the Samaritan is the most likely one to turn back. And this really is a guess of my thoughts, but I'm wondering if people are tracking. Why is the Samaritan the one that comes back? and not the nine Israelite men. Go ahead. Well, because Jews don't usually associate with Samaritans, and he was touched
1: by Jesus. Yeah. It's a, a radical.
0: Radical. Okay. If you're not familiar with it, the Samaritans are a mixed race. They're Jewish, but they've married outside of the Jewish uh, genealogy, and so they're separate. They live in this separate space. Uh, if you haven't watched The Chosen, I feel like that one is a, it's a really good show that kind of embellishes a little bit on it and it brings it a little bit closer to heart for us, I think. So you watch it if you want. But um, when the ten of them are together, there's no problem. Those Jews have lost their significance. They're at the bottom of society. It doesn't matter if they're hanging out with the Samaritan or not. In reality, they wouldn't want to hang out with the Samaritan. And that's why it says, it specifies that Jesus is on this border between Samaria and Galilee. Like, he's on that edge of a dangerous zone of interacting with people that are unclean. And then the lepers come in. This Samaritan turns around, and my argument is, he turns around because he had no reason to be cleaned. Those Jewish men could argue, they're Jewish, they deserve to be back in the temple, worshipping God as a normal Jew. This Samaritan doesn't have that access. And so what does that change in his heart? The recognition that this isn't something that I'm due or owed, now he's back at Jesus' feet. Because this was a big deal to be touched or cleansed by Jesus. Okay? How do we start this question of where we should be working? Should we be working among the nations? Should we find a practice here that's working with, with internationals or immigrants? How do we start that is with this recognition of where we're supposed to be in the circle. When I think about this, when I just don't give any thought, this is me and the nations are all around me, right? And it's me because I'm kind of special because God kind of called me out and he made me chosen. And then I pause and think, that sounds a lot like the Israelites. Like We're special because we're special and God said we're special and you guys don't matter as much. So maybe I don't even need to focus on you. But if I flip that lens and I'm I'm looking at it in a different perspective and I say, there is no need or reason that I should have been called out, that me as a Gentile should even be called a descendant of Abraham, that me as a sinner should be able to have access to God, and if I start there, then it makes sense why I should care about everyone else around me. Okay? I'll pause there. Thoughts? Tracking. Anybody want to argue with it? Okay. We're running out of examples, so don't worry. It's not. It's not going to go on forever. What is this a picture of? And I'll say, people give two answers. Only one's correct. Torn. Part the Red Sea and the torn curtain. Those are exactly the two answers that we always get. It's the curtain. All right. Both ways are great examples. This one specifically stands out to me, especially in. in Keeping with that discussion of the temple, Matthew 27, 50, as Jesus is dying on the cross, he yields up his spirit and the curtain's torn in two from top to bottom. It's not something the priests are doing. It's not something Jesus' and disciples went in and tore the curtain from the bottom top to try to make this into a good event. This was Jesus, this is God at work opening up that Holy of Holies, saying he is no longer has to be found through a physical priesthood that we have, and we see it here in Hebrews. That Jesus is our great high priest. That sacrifice has been made. We have access to God. We can enter in confidence the holy places through the blood of Christ. Okay? Don't ever forget this. This is big. Um, because this was a barrier that we could never have overcome. We didn't get to go in there. If we tried to be brave and tear a curtain, pew, we're dead. Just like the priests were dead if they weren't in the right spirit of heart when they went in there. All right. so what does this say for us, and how does this matter? Why is this important for this talk or what we're talking about? And I'm arguing, Jesus, God made a way throughout the Old Testament for the nations to be a part of the worship of Him. The New Testament, we see a change, and Jesus is physically here, healing, making changes, and making a way for people, we see it Mark four, or sorry, John four, with the woman at the well, with the Samaritan. Um, we see it Matthew nine, Jesus is spending time with the very wrong crowd, the tax collectors, the sinners, the Jewish leaders are at odds with that. He cannot be made unclean, so he's in these areas. He's touching sick people, he's touching the woman that's bleeding. Like there's this this occurrence that's going on where he is overcoming these obstacles that are there to bring healing spiritually and physically. He's available. He lets himself be pulled out of these things that he's trying to do and redirected and he makes time for people. He comes to seek and save the lost. This is the Zacchaeus that's climbing up in the tree, the woman that's bleeding, the daughter of the woman of Tyre, the Phoenician woman. Like She comes and she says, Lord, heal my daughter. And he says, I'm here for the nation of Israel. And she says, even the dogs get the scraps from the table. And he says... Your faith is incredible. And his daughter's healed through that. So, Jesus is throwing out these examples. Yes, he was coming for Israel, and Israel denies him. And through that, we have access. We're grafted in. This is, there's great theology behind it. But what does it look like for us practically? So, we're here. Why do the nations matter for all health care providers? Alright. Are we following Christ's example of making a way for an opportunities to heal physically and spiritually the people that don't look just like us the people that sound different and smell different and speak different and live in different places what are we doing for that this is where it kind of breaks down i don't i could we could talk i love sitting down with students and talking through exactly where they're at in life and what it looks like we don't get to do that today i'm definitely available afterwards if people want to talk more specifically but one thing that i found is how do we find where the nations are so here's two QR codes again if you throw your phone up it'll take you to two different links one is this migration policy which is census data only up to 2019 so it's not amazing and I'll show you the website in a minute but this is where immigration what immigration looks like in the United States by state by cities um, you can it's really cool you I'll show you Uh, This other one is Stratus Earth, which is a... It's it's like the new kid on the block. We know about Joshua Projects and uh, or Joshua Peoples and... Joshua Project, right? Um, Okay, Joshua Project, sorry. Um, We know about that. We've all seen the IMB maps. I'll show you some of those later. Stratus puts those into into correlation with kind of things like health associations, child mortality... uh, all these cool things. I'm going to show you that in just a second. So, if you've got those, I'm going to pop out and show you what this looks like. This is Stratus Earth. And so, uh, if I come over here, you can kind of look at this globe. And it'll, usually it spins around, so I don't, must have had it up too long. But you can click on a country like Yemen, and you can look at data on. Uh, I don't know what's happening. I'm going to reload the page. But it shows you this data. So, if you're trying to find where the nations are at around the world, what people groups are where, and what's kind of the presence of the gospel there? What are the medical needs that are there? Uh, here it comes. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's, it's busy. You can spend a lot of fun time here. You can geek out, as the term is now, for it. Uh, but you can look at all these, where where it lands in in all the nations, in how safe it is to be there, or what the environment's like. And I'll tell you this... It goes back and forth between Yemen and Afghanistan, alternating over these last few months, just which one's the worst place to live in the world. Um, so, this website, if you want to research what the world looks like, it's there. If you want to look at this one, this is the, the domestic one. And so, instance, uh, it'll pull you up, that QR code will take you to this one. You can kind of click into all these different ones. I'm just going to real briefly show you what it looks like for immigration by state and county. Again, you can kind of pull out of the drop-down here what ethnicity, what, what people group you're looking for, and it shows you, sure enough, I don't know what just happened. Oh, it switched to Ukraine. All right. So here's Ukraine, the presence in the for between 2015 and 2019. It's a little old, so it's going to be changed data now. Um, but what you see is immigrants like to connect with people in their culture. And so a lot of places just grow in number rather than have new places formed. And you can go through this and you can figure out, wait, there's a Somali community in West Kansas that's out there that works at a meatpacking plant and there's 15,000 that live in a neighborhood and they just live out there. Well, wow, I could just work there and I could get paid a lot of money to pay off my loans and I could do family practice and be a part of the, the community that's there. That's really cool. Or you can look at you know, Dearborn outside Detroit. All these areas you can find where the people are at in the United States if you're trying to figure out... God has this people group on my heart, but for some reason, I feel like I'm not supposed to leave the country. Where can I go find them? All right? Okay. Oh, man. So those those are some ways, and again, I'm just throwing out examples for you to brainstorm and think, how does this apply to you? International students, when you think that the numbers kind of go back and forth, 60, 80, there's a little bit of a range. A majority of world leaders study outside their country for their backgrounds, for their degrees, for their job, and they go back to their country, and they run those upper levels of society positions. And they come and they live, they can live around the corner from you, they can live in the apartments right by the school, and they can spend their four years here, and they cannot meet anyone, and they can never be inside somebody's home. And they go back to their country and they think, hmm, I guess the United States, or I guess those Christians are just what I thought they were. Or you can flip that, and you can have them over, and they can, uh, yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> you can you can spend time with them, and they can. You can lament with them when they go through hard times, and you can rejoice with them when they have children. And you can um, you can have to drive out of your city and try to find a farm that sells goats or sheep, so you can slaughter one, so you can physically slaughter a sheep that you've never done anything like that before and then you come back and you barbecue it and you celebrate the birth of their son. And God can change their hearts while they're here. And they can go back to their country and have a whole different trajectory than when they came over here. And so, you can be a part of that. Literally just look up the universities around you, call around the community colleges and ask where their students like Are there students from other countries there? Are there student organizations you can be a part of? Uh, Can you be a part of some of the work? There's so many sweet groups that are doing that. Launch Global is a great example. If you haven't heard of them, look them up. But they're doing the work among the internationals that are here. And they're here for a short time. And immigrants sometimes don't speak English. International students speak English better than I do. And you can have great discussions about academic things. And it's really fun. All right. uh, We are... Getting close to time. So I'm going to kind of speed through these. Definitely want to stick around for questions at the end. Unreached, unengaged people groups around the world. It's not probably not a foreign concept for you, for where you're at. When we start to overlap this map with other maps, this is the traveling team's put some data on people that are sent out full-time by churches. They call them missionaries. 32,000 of them stay in the United States, so I'll argue a definition with them later. But the bigger the purple circle, the more people are there doing that work look at where those purple circles are compared to the red dots of the unreached and unengaged people groups. They're in zones that are difficult to get to, not friendly to be there, you don't go vacation in the Sahara, but that's where the gospel is not right now. And how can we be a part of that? Okay, So maybe God's calling you to leave and be a part of the work over there rather than be a part of the work here with immigrants or internationals. There's a couple, I mean, you guys are at the right spot for finding people to do that. I want to plug this one real quick. If you are trying to figure out how you can be involved in that work, this group, Priority 15, has put together this map of people in unreached, unengaged areas where medicine can open doors into communities and people's uh, lives and hearts. And uh, we're trying to put people on the ground in all those areas. And then we'll pick some more red spots to put on the map. And we'll kind of swap them out with the new ones. They do a gathering every year. If you want to scan that, you can get on their email list. Yeah. Um, And then this last one, this is what's really important, okay? So far we've talked about the need and it was weighing on our hearts and we've talked about how to find people. What's important about it? Jesus came to be a light in darkness he calls us in Matthew 5 to be a light in the world we're set on a hill don't put yourself under a basket we have to do more than just befriend people we have to do more with our work with our lives with our ministry than just be good friends because people can come and they can come from Pakistan and you can spend two and a half years with them and then you can say goodbye at the airport and they can be like hey hey you're a great friend, thanks so much. And you're like, man, we talked about so many spiritual things and you missed all of it. But like, we want to be more than that. There's plenty of ways to do it. Um, you can put these into your practice. You can do things like, oh, put a sticker on your computer and hope people ask about it. And you can walk them through what that means. You can do, you can talk about yourself like, hey, man, I once went through this really dark time and God found me and he gave me a hope that I never had tasted before. and It's made all the difference in my life. You can go through... Uh, you can drop these real quick Bible stories out there. The prodigal son, when someone's talking about how they're they at the end of their rope and they feel like they don't have anyone that cares about them, you can throw this out like, hey, God cares about you. And he can be waiting for you. And he wants to embrace you. Um, or Mark 4, you can talk about when they're so anxious and they're like, oh, this is the end, I, I'm not, I don't think I can make it through what I'm going through. And you go... The disciples thought that once when they were with Jesus, and it was this storm, and it was on a lake, and they were fishermen. It was probably one of their boats. So it was really weird that they were in this really bad storm. They should have been able to control it, but it was a really bad storm, just like what you're going through. And what did they do? They woke Jesus up. They risked it. They like reached out and woke him up and said, "Hey, don't you care that we're going to die?" And he stops the storm. And he can do that in your life. All right, you can pray with people. Um, and right in the middle there, I put it up there. Uh, FICA, let's see, oops, sorry. Uh, there are some research supported things that should be in your, your social history when you're doing an intake on somebody. If it's not there, the research suggests that it should be because you're missing something. FICA, hope, faith are all examples of that. Just gathering a foundation of where they're at spiritually, asking them questions. If they say, I don't want to talk about the church. I've been hurt by the church. You're like, okay, I know where you're at. Like, let's talk about something else and we'll circle back to that. Or if they talk about how their faith is so important and their church is so amazing and it's this great community and you're like, oh, let's keep you in that. Let's encourage you to go into that. Um, So it gives you a foundation that you can build on later. Read a Bible story with somebody. Ask them questions. Give Give them homework. Hey, read this passage and we're going to talk about it at your next visit. You tell me what you think. All right, and this is why it's so important. If you've ever read Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. It's getting a little old now, but it's a fantastic book. It's just, I've met people that have never read it, and I'm surprised. He starts it out with this discussion that missions exist because worship doesn't and that's the reason we're doing this because Chronicle like First Chronicles 16. Our job is to sing to the Lord all the earth. We're supposed to tell His salvation all day long, declare His glory among the nations and the marvelous work among all the peoples. Psalms the same way. We're singing praises to You among the nations, and we talked about Habakkuk all these great passages about the glory of God covering the earth like the waters cover the, the seas. Uh, this is what we we want heaven to look like okay? we want it to be people from all backgrounds and we see that in Revelation 7 it's promised to us John caught the vision way back in the day and I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white and singing all glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever like, this is important to God It's important to us. It needs to be. Um, right. Revelation closes out the Bible with this very beautiful picture of the tree of life. When we think about the tree of life and what that means for us, the tree of life, this describes that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. God cares. Go back to Hagar. God sees. God hears and God cares. He's promised the living water that they'll never thirst again. He'll hear their sorrows. Isaiah 25, Psalm 56, got to wipe away our tears and there'll be no more. All right? This last few hours, just uh, pop up an email that you can contact me if you want to talk more, if you have questions. I'll be around for a little bit. Um, But I'm, uh, yeah, super excited that you guys were here. Hopefully, they were great stories. Hopefully, it helped remind you of what God has done in the past. This isn't a foreign concept, this isn't something that's made up at this gathering. We can be confident when we go from this place that God cares for the nations more than we ever can. All right. And if we start with that thought, like, God cared for me and shouldn't have, I'm so thankful for that. How can I be a part of the work that's going on? Okay? Cool. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for sitting through it. We're right on time.